know the few neighborhoods that I like based off of the exit strategies that I have in place or that I intend to have in place. So now you've identified what areas you should be involved in so that you can go ahead and do that. Now we're going to jump into finding deals. We used to put up a low, medium, and high repair estimate. So what we used to do is for low, we just picked a number. Literally, it was like we picked a number like 40,000 for a low estimate, like 70,000 for a medium estimate, and then 100,000 for a high estimate. Where did we come up with that number? Like I said, we pulled it out of thin air, all right? And the reason we did that is because every single offer that we're going to place on the property is going to be contingent upon inspection, all right? So I always have a due diligence period, at least 10 days or 14 days. That's fairly customary in every single market around the country. So we would buy properties with at least a 10 day due diligence period. And then follow up is key when it comes to the MLS, right? The reason why people don't get deals off the MLS is because they only place one offer on that property. What we do is we place one offer and then two weeks later we place another offer on it. And two weeks later we place another offer. What happens to people's motivation over time? It increases, right? People don't want to just keep holding a property that perhaps they're not living in anymore or that's boarded up, right? Because all it is doing is costing them money. So follow-up is key when you're working on the MLS, when you're finding properties off the MLS. So this is one strategy that we still use to this day, okay? In both our market as well as markets around the country that we invest in. Direct mail. So you can do direct mail in other markets as well. What we used to do is we marketed to different types of lists. People always ask me which list worked well. Every list works if you work it, right? If you plan on sending out one mailer to a thousand people once, do you think that's gonna work? Probably not. If you're lucky, maybe, right? We used to follow up at least five times. So we would hit the same people five times. And then what we found is, hey, on the, like the fourth or fifth touch, we get more calls. And so we started extending it out to seven times. We've even done campaigns where we followed up with people nine to 12 times, right? Why? Because for me, it's a relatively smaller investment than the margin that's available to me when I flip the property, right? So. We used to use a seller lead sheet and do the desktop appraisal. So what we eventually did is we outsourced all the phone calls to a virtual assistant. Now we have a messaging service that takes all of our phone calls. All right. So direct mail. You can also do online lead generation. So, you know, people are a lot more into technology these days. People are using pay-per-click, Google AdWords. Now, I honestly haven't done a ton of Google AdWords or pay-per-click. What I have gotten deals off of is Facebook. We use Facebook ads from time to time. And we've seen good leads from that, both seller leads and buyer leads. But you have to do it consistently. Again, it's not like a one and done strategy. And there's another website, biggerpockets.com. It's an online forum for real estate investors start posting on those forums, etc. You'll make a lot of connections, remote connections as well, right? So 
online lead generation. And then you have to have boots on the ground. You absolutely are going to require boots on the ground. So how could you do this? You could use real estate agents as boots on the ground. That's what we did. Interns, you can have interns that can, or a newer investor that you can train up and partner with them. Give them a portion of the profits if you want. You want a boots on the ground person because you're gonna wanna take a look at pictures, etc. This is the primary ways we utilize to find deals, all right? And we still utilize all these methods to this day, all right? When it comes to finding deals, you have to be placing a lot of offers, at least 30, at least. In this business, is it okay to write 100 offers, get 99 no's and get one yes and make a mid to high five figure profit? Yeah, absolutely, right? So is it worth it to write 30 sight unseen offers with a due diligence period? Yeah, absolutely, right? At our peak, we were probably writing like 70 or 80 offers a week just because, yeah, we would often get 70 no's, but that's okay because our strategy was, you know, cast a wide net and maybe we'll pull one or two. And did we have to back out of a few deals? Yeah, absolutely. That's why the due diligence period exists because we can either A, renegotiate or worst case scenario, we might have to back out of the deal after we do our due diligence on it. How do we renovate the property? So during our due diligence, always, always, always have a due diligence when you're out of town, right? So during our due diligence, we'd have first our realtor or our boots on the ground go out and take photos. So we'd have them go out, take photos, no opinions. I, I don't want your opinions on the property. I just want evidence. So take 100 to 150 photos. So we had a system for that. Take every single side of the house. Take a picture of the backyard. Stand at the front door, look left and look right. Look across the street. Give me 10 or 15 pictures across the street of or every single house on that street on both sides, okay? I'm starting to gauge what is the neighborhood like. And then for every single room, I wanted two pictures from two corners of the room. Every single room. Because I don't want opinions, I just want evidence. So it ended up being about 100 to 150 pictures of the entire house. But now I have a lot of information about the house that I just put under contract. Drive the neighborhood. I used to tell the agent, drive the neighborhood, take pictures of the neighbors and inquire about the neighborhood, specific information. So not have the agent inquire about the neighborhood, but I would have a whole conversation with them after they drove the neighborhood. Hey, did you see a lot of board up? Did you see a lot of trash on the street? Were there people hanging out when you were there, right? What was going on in the neighborhood? I'll be able to see it from pictures, but now they can relate the information to me as well. That's the first thing we used to do. Then we would do a home inspection. And with the home inspector, I wanted a very detailed home inspector, a home inspector. So we would get their sample reports and they would produce you know, a 50 page report or a 70 page report. Why? Because there would be a ton of pictures I once had one property where my realtor went to the wrong property and sent me the wrong photo. So guess what? I figured that out as soon as I did my home inspection. I said, these pictures are different. And that told me, hey, it's the wrong property. But guess what? I was still in my due diligence. I didn't have much to do, all right? 
So checks and balances, what I'm saying. So we used to have checks and balances in place. So what I used to coach the home inspector to do is give me three ends. What needs to be done? What's nice to do? And what would I be nuts to do? Right? So basically, I, I need to know what absolutely needs to be done and what would be nice to do. And then what would just be wasting money? Basically, you know, if the roof is five years old, I don't want to change the roof. Do a home inspector. And then we used to talk to the realtor and say, where do you think we should spend money? Right? Where should we spend our money? Typically, where do we spend our money on the houses? Kitchens and baths, right? Kitchens, baths, my rule of thumb. So I have a big four. Kitchens, baths, master suites, and curb appeal. That's where we spend our money on our renovations. Right? So we have the realtor tell us where to spend our money. Now, they might be able to give me extra insight. You might have a neighborhood where, you know, you still have young professionals that are starting families. So, hey, put a master suite on the main floor in case, you know, parents come over to take care of the kids or something like that. So we've done things like that. And then verify with the photos the renovation plan. You can now take a look at the kitchen, the actual kitchen that's there, and say, hey, can we actually save those cabinets or do we need to get rid of them? Can we save those uh, appliances or do we need new ones? What's the flooring like? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then three contractors. So we used to, and remember, we're still in our due diligence group, all right? So we used to get three contractors out there and get them to give us a ballpark bid. So I would tell them, listen, this is what I'm thinking about doing, opening up these walls, doing this kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think it's going to cost me? Oh, I'm going to need to go back and get my subcontractor. No, Mr. or Mrs. Contractor, I respect you and your time. I don't want you to be working too hard because if this deal doesn't work out, I don't want you to waste your time, right? So give me a ballpark. If they wouldn't, I'd find another contractor that would. And then renegotiate if necessary. So now I'm in, in my due diligence and there's been times where I've had to renegotiate. Is my intention to go in and renegotiate? Not necessarily, but I don't know. If, if there's something wrong in the basement or the crawl space, I need to deal with that. If there's something wrong in the attic or something that we couldn't see, we're going to need to pay for that. And so we provided evidence to our sellers saying, hey, look, this is what's wrong with the property. And in order for us to fix it, it's going to cost us X. And that's why we need a reduction of X on the property. That's what we used to do. So during our due diligence was the time we were busiest on the property. But we literally followed the same exact format and created a system for what we would do during our due diligence. Right? We already had our team in place for that as well. Then once we decided, okay, we are going to move forward with this property. Now we're going to create the scope of work. So what we did is we took a scope of work template and we used to have the realtor, inspector, and designer kind of work together. Not like actually sit down and work together. We used to basically take all of the information that we've compiled and then we worked with them and based off of those conversations, we would draw up a scope of work with looking at all of the pictures, all of the inspections, et cetera, all the data that we had compiled. Now we're creating a scope of work with that. And then we occasionally would have the designer and the contractor, if we had decided on a contractor or if this was, you know, our 10th deal in the market and we were using the same contractor over and over again, 
now the contractor understands what we want generally in these properties that we'd have them work with a designer now we used to hire a designer because that was one of our checks and balances we found someone that was actually a stager and we said to her hey would you be open to designing the house and more so babysitting our contractor so just another set of eyes for us we used to put a lot of checks and balances in place because we want that anytime we were releasing money we would have a check and balance in place which i'm going to explain to you so after the due diligence what would we do we would evaluate the bids and hire a contractor so now we take that same scope of work we send it to the contractors that gave us the initial ballpark and additional contractors if we wanted to now they're going to work up the bid the same way that you would do it in a local okay they're going to bid out labor because you already know what you're going to put into the property right do they have home depots and lows around the country did you go to your home depot locally and figure out what to use for that property yeah so you can pull all the SKU numbers so evaluate the bids and hire the contractor sign all six critical documents we used to require a list of all of the subs on the job and the contact information on the first page for our customers. if they did not want to give it to us okay fine you don't get to work with us it's my way or the highway pretty much right that's how we run our business it is our business it is our reputation on the line so you do it my way or we don't do business which way do you want to go right require list and then require final waiver of lien before any trade is paid so sometimes we would have contractors especially if they were new hey I'm not gonna send you a final waiver of lien until you paid it. okay so let's figure out a way we can get this done so sometimes we would send a check to our boots on the ground and say here make sure it's an even exchange at the same time we used to prepare to begin the renovation the day after closing and we usually used to hit it every single time because while we were waiting to close we were doing a ton of preparation to get the property started the day after closing why because we don't want to pay unnecessary money to our lender right because that just eats into my profit so that's what we did after the due diligence. Then we close and rehab the property. So we used to make payments based off of draw schedules. And the draws were at the end of a week, right? What would we do? We would set up the standard for a contractor up front. This is how we work. If that's not okay with you, we'll find someone else, right? So draws at the end of the week and draw requests at the beginning of the week why just because we wanted sufficient time while we were running multiple rehab projects we needed to manage our money right that's really what my job was to make sure that we were managing our money properly and making phone calls on a relatively regular basis right like once a week at least talking to our boots on the ground and then one of our big things and this is probably the piece that is the most critical inspectors so we used to take the same home inspector and we had them do what we called base inspection so they wouldn't charge us a full amount of a full inspection we just tell them hey the contractor at the beginning of this week just ask us for a draw for removing the wall demoing the property and framing everything out and putting the siding can you go out and make sure everything was done properly now i'm having a home inspector who usually understands how a house needs to be constructed properly, go out and check the contractor's work. Is that a positive? Yeah, absolutely, right? 
now I can hold the contractor accountable to make sure he's doing the rehab project appropriately. And so the inspector would go ahead and do that and he'd find occasionally a mistake. Like this hole should have been sealed up prior to hanging the final section of the siding. Now I can have an intelligent conversation with my contractor and say, hey, what's going on? Get that fixed before you close it up, right? Because my inspector can check that. And then we got into such a rhythm with our contractors that we used to just take this and we'd send it to them and say, you want to get paid your draw this week, you need to fix these things properly. The contractor is going to follow your spec sheets or your scope of work, which is going to have all the plumbing, lighting, beams, etc. you're going to put into it. And then whenever we would have issues or challenges on a job, now, do things go wrong with construction or do we sometimes find more issues than not? during construction yeah right so when things used to come up we used to send the inspector out if there were any technical concerns so sometimes my contractor would tell me oh it's going to cost you three thousand dollars and we got to do it this way that's okay my inspector is going to go out there and take a look at it at the same time as you and you guys can brainstorm right delegation so they used to brainstorm in certain occasions the inspector was able to say, hey, why don't you do it this way? Because it's not going to cost $3,000, it will cost 300 The inspector would go out during technical concerns, and then the designer or realtor would go out during design concerns. Right? That's why we used to have a designer assisting us, or a realtor assisting us. And obviously, this realtor is going to get the back-end commission, because we're going to probably listen to them. So we set that up with them before we actually even start doing business. So they would keep sending us reports after every single date. They'd occasionally find some issues and go deal with it. So that's how we used to walk the whole entire project through to completion. Then obviously we need to monetize it. Now we have a fixed up property. How do we sell it or rent it? So selling it or renting it. So project closeout. So full post renovation inspection. Now, that inspector has been involved on the project all the way from the beginning, during phase inspections, and then at the end of the project, we still do this to this day, even in our local market, we have our inspector go back out, review the entire property, do another home inspection of the property, as if I was buying the property. This is how we used to keep contracts together. We never could understand, you know, there's all these investors doing business and it still happens to this day, 